0: You're listening to Yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Ad Week Podcast. It's a bonus episode of the Ad Week Podcast, because it's been a it's been a newsy week. And here to talk about it with me is our agency's editor, Doug Zanger, and our agency's reporter, Minda Smiley. Doug, Minda, thanks for joining me.
2: Yeah. Quite a week. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So we're here to talk about I, I was gonna say one story, but it's like <laughs> 14 stories. Um, It is. Uh, I'll give the very quick overview, and then Minda can walk us through the timeline. She has been covering this uh, throughout the week. Uh, Stan Richards, the founder of the Richards Group, Dallas-based agency that is known for a lot of really iconic advertising, which we'll talk about more. But I would quickly mention um, the Motel Six, "We'll Leave the Light On" for you, uh, the Chick Fil A cows, the Ram Super Bowl spot, Farmer. Uh, for those who remember that one. And uh, so a lot of famous work uh, and it really just kind of one of the the iconic independent agencies. Stan Richards has left the agency amid a cloud of controversy and just an unprecedented number of major client losses within a few short days uh, over a comment that he made in an internal meeting where he reportedly said that, a, and he admits this, and it's not reported, uh, that uh, a campaign idea was too black. Uh, the staff uh, apparently really raised the flag about this and demanded that he apologize for this. Uh, Stan is the 100% the owner. Uh, is very hands-on, it sounds like, with uh, all of their creative processes. We will go into that as well. Um, but uh, they took a lot of fallout, uh, Minda, tell us about a bit about the timeline here. It seemed like the, the news of this really percolated out early in the week, uh, that, that this had been brewing. Um, and it sounds like as soon as Motel 6, for whom this campaign was being pitched that he made the comment about, as soon as they learned about it, they were like, we're out, you're fired.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of, to kind of backtrack a little bit and, and sum up, uh, from my understanding at least to what exactly went down, um, they were in a, an internal meeting last week, so just an agency meeting. And um, Stan did say that he that he thought a concept uh, for Motel 6 was too black. It was uh, for a multicultural campaign, I believe. Um, and he also – this has been harder to pin down exactly what was said. Um, but basically what I've heard is that he kind of insinuated that um, – Motel Six's customers, some of them at least, are white supremacists, um, and so this is these two comments are really um, what I think got employees really upset, and and and, um, and of course it made its way over to Motel Six, and the chain was very quick um, to to let the agency go um, before the agency. I mean, from what I can tell, at least before they really had time to even sort of discuss different. Um, different ways to address what happened. Um, the, the hotel chain quickly cut ties, and then from there, it's it's really just snowballed. We've seen a lot of their big clients, Home Depot, um, H-E-B, I think that's how you pronounce it? Um, yeah. You know. Pretty big Texas grocer. That's <laughs> pronounced <laughs> H-E-B. <No. laughs> H-E-B. It, it's, a
2: bi- it, it's big down in Texas. They That is a source yeah. of Texas pride. It's a, it is yeah. a great store, yeah.
1: Um, and just a number of other clients, Salvation Army, um, some Keurig Dr. Pepper brands, um that they had worked with are now no longer going to be, you know, with the agency. I mean, it, it's really just happened quickly and um it's hard to tell what clients are even left. I mean, I know they have a lot of smaller, um, some regional clients that we haven't heard from, but uh I'm sure they're I'm sure like all of the all of their clients they're having discussions. So
0: Yeah, and I think even Salvation Army initially came out and said, Oh, you know, He's, he seems to be apologizing, and he feels bad about it. And then the, I think when they realized the scope of it the next day, they were like, you know what? Actually, we're firing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. this Doug, I mean, I feel I'm safe in saying, I, I've been covering this industry for, I think, 14 years now. I've never seen anything like this.
2: No. No, it all happened really quickly. And I think it underscores a couple of things. Number one, that... No one has any time nor patience for any of this related to racist comments or bias or, you know, anything like that. And secondly, I think it underscores the understanding that agencies are vendors and they are in some ways they can be expendable because take a look at how long the agency had. These two brands as clients, I think Home Depot was 25 years, if memory serves well. I have to go back and look, but it's you know it's it's over two decades, and Motel Six, I believe, was 34 years, so more than three decades. So on a dime, that you know this all turned really quickly, and I think it also shows the power that brands have and that clients have. And that's not to say that agencies shouldn't be brave in the way that they approach their work, but this clearly goes to the other end of the spectrum, which is just an untenable situation for for a brand to, to deal with. So I, I think the uh the, the, the the end result here is just you know a, a lot of bad things happening at once and having to make that decision quickly.
0: Now, Minda, you and I have spent the last few days, um, we're recording this Thursday evening, so you'll probably be listening to this Friday or after, but we've spent the last few days uh, talking to people who, who have previously worked there. Um, and I mean, this is a 700-person agency, I should be clear. This is not a small shop. Uh, we're talking very big, very big numbers. Um, but there, there are certain things I will just kind of quickly say that set this apart from most incidents of of agency executives doing things, uh, doing inappropriate things, saying inappropriate things, and then being ushered out. This happens, you know, somewhat often, a few times a year maybe, and you don't see these catastrophic client losses. So walk us through, Minda, kind of what makes this one so different because of the nature of Stan Richards' relationship with the agency.
1: Yeah, and that's something I've been I've been trying to figure out. I mean, I think the natural question when these clients all started leaving was, you know, what's he going to do? And and usually, like you said, an agency is owned by a holding company, so the holding company will step in and figure out a plan, or or you know, another executive that you know maybe has stake in the agency, or there'll be some someone else will kind of like do something and this this situation is interesting because from my understanding stan owns 100 percent of the agency um he's all i mean if you kind of look at our past coverage one of his main talking points over the years has been his obsession with independence he's never going to sell um he's you know he's already set up plans for the future um where he can ensure that the agency is never sold i mean so the buck really stops with him and so i I've been trying to figure out, like, what do you do in a situation where um, the person that's causing all the problems is kind of the person in charge, I guess is the easiest way to say it. And clearly, as we learned today, he decided to step down on his own. Um, What that means for ownership, I don't know Um, if he'll just continue to own it but kind of be really hands-off. So that's why this is really unique. I think usually when we see these exits, there's someone – there's a board or something involved, and this has just really been – very different in that way.
0: Yeah. You even think about something like Papa John's, right? Mm. You know, of like uh, separating themselves from the founder. There's a board, there's a leadership structure that can do that. You know, in this case, he is the leadership structure. And so uh, I had several people ask me, you know, why are these clients dropping an agency, an entire agency costing hundreds of jobs over the comments made by one person You know, why not demand that they do something about that one person? And I'm like, because he is the agency, is my best guess, you know? Like, what are they going to do that eliminates their owner um, from the equation? Like, you can, again, going back to when this happens with other, um, like, we had a, a, I would say, a a somewhat similar incident. Uh, Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was Deutsche LA, right? The screenshot Mm -hmm. of the email. Uh, you know, so a few months back, I think it was June, uh, someone, an ex-employee posted a screenshot of an email that a creative chief had sent, uh, at Deutsche LA that made some really racially insensitive comments about a, about a commercial spot or about a voice actor, I believe. And, um, it, and that creative chief was fired immediately. Um, and that's kind of typically how it goes because that creative chief does not own the entire agency, right? Um, now, the other thing we, we should—well, I guess before we talk about the culture of the Richards Group and what we've learned about it, um, let's talk a little bit about their legacy. You know, I mentioned these up front, but the Motel 6, will lead a light on for you, uh, Famous, one of the most famous advertising taglines. I would put it just short of, like, got milk. Uh, it was famously ad-libbed uh, by uh, Tom Bodet the actor— it might have even been Stan Richards or like a or one of his creative chiefs uh, heard Tom Baudet on the radio, like heard him on NPR, and he was just kind of this NPR commentator, and he asked him to come in because he just thought he had this everyman voice that would be good for Motel Six. Tom ad adlibs the line, "We'll leave the light on for you." Richards' group sees the potential in that and makes it, you know, this iconic uh, ad campaign line. Uh, and, and then I live in the South, I live in Alabama, so I would also point to the Chick-fil-A cows. Uh, I've had like people outside of the South tell me, I've not, uh, I don't know what that is. That's not a big deal. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, if you have driven at all in the South, anytime in the last 20 years or whatever, you've seen those cows, like they are three-dimensional, uh, outdoor Grammatically boards, incorrect. Uh, <laughs> grammat- yeah, spelling, doing their best to spell about eating more chicken, Um, and there, it's, it is the most beloved ad campaign among children. Like, okay, let me explain this because I don't think people (laughs) will believe me. Do you know how, do you know how when kids have a birthday party and they, they do like, is this, is this is a thing, right? That they do like a chant when they, when they do the happy birthday thing. Doug, you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about.
1: I don't know. (laughs) What,
0: what, what (laughs) chant are you referring to, David? All right, all right. I'll try to explain this. And
2: we just, just sing eat. up here in the North.
0: <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure what... So um, at the end of the Happy Birthday song here in the South, uh, and please, re- listeners, please email me at podcast.adweek.com to let me know if, I, if, you, if you have heard of this or if I'm just crazy. But every time there's a birthday party, they sing that song, and then they do like this chant, and they say, I swear to God, they say, rah, rah, eat more chicken... Uh, and then something else like they literally quote an advertising yeah. line. I used to think this was just a few kids. I've now seen it at like 3 dozen birthdays. Yeah, parties. yeah, yeah. It is Not a thing up here. Nope.
1: Yeah, not yeah. not not a not a Pittsburgh thing Has, for nope.
0: sure. It's <laughs> not, not a Portland thing. Every corner. Nope. Anyway, my point being these are culturally pervasive uh campaigns, you know. And and I and I still think that farmer uh let's let's go back for just a second. Let's listen to a uh, farmer, I believe it was 2013. Holy cows! At that old already. Um, this was uh, the uh, a Super Bowl ad for Ram, uh, and let's let's give it a listen.
2: God said, "I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark." So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake and disk and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk. Somebody who'd veil a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a
0: farmer. So that was uh, Paul Harvey, a uh, radio uh, legend uh, from a speech he had given and that was repurposed into a long-form spot. Really lovely spot um, that I, I think was named by many to be the best Super Bowl ad of the year. Uh, all of which is to say, uh, I, I don't want it to sound like we're eulogizing Stan Richards. You know, he's not dead. Uh, but I, I, it is just bizarre to me that this agency that is so well known for so much imploded so quickly and so comprehensively. Um, but Minda, I did want you to tell us, and and I've talked to some folks about this, but I think you've talked to more, just about what the culture is like there. It sounds like Stan Richards is, compared to most agencies, is very hands-on uh, and really kind of dictates the culture over there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like, I don't even know if old school is the word for it, but he definitely, from what I've heard, he, he has a very maybe peculiar way of, of running things. Um, people talk about um, how he's he's very obsessed with t- uh, time, arriving to work on time. You know, he, he doesn't like people just coming in and out as they please. Um, and I think and another thing people have mentioned is um, – You know, well, well, I I should say that I think a lot of times people like him, you know, agency founders and whatnot. I think we kind of all assume that even if they have some title or if they're still involved, that we kind of think, oh, they're probably not. Maybe they're called in when something happens, or, um, or you know, they're there if they need to be. But most days, especially well into your eighties, probably not super involved in the day to day. But from what I've heard, I, that's not the case with Stan. I mean, he is in creative meetings um, every day. He, he, I mean, as we can see with what happened with Motel 6, he very clearly um, is giving feedback and, um, you know, voicing his opinion. So I think it, it's it really goes to show that, I mean, this agency that he has his name on, he is very much still a part of. And I think that could even, going back to what you were saying earlier, Greiner, you um, I think that could maybe be a, a partly why clients have been so quick to to fire the agency, because maybe they do realize that, you know, this isn't a quick fix. I mean, he maybe is is kind of who the agency is in their eyes.
0: Yeah, the, the thing that got me as someone who I, you know, I've only worked at one agency. I worked there for seven or eight years. Um, but I feel like this is a pretty standard um, thing that I've, I've heard from other agency folks is timesheets. Yeah, you know, timesheets, mm. no one likes them. Mm-hmm. No one likes doing them, uh, but you do them. I think, Minda, you worked at a shop for a little bit. What was it was like weekly. Yeah, it was either weekly file? or
1: bi weekly. Yeah.
0: And mine was like ostensibly you, you were supposed to file them before you went home on Friday and no one did and you got yelled at. Yeah. You know, it's just whatever. <laughs> you, you never really got yelled at. You just got like, hey, uh, you're three weeks behind on your <laughs> timesheets. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's kind of the norm from what I've heard. Again, drop me an email if I'm wrong, if your agency also is a little more intense, because uh, what we've been told is that with Richard's group, you had to file your timesheets every day by noon for the day prior. Um, and then if you did not, then for every late timesheet, you were docked. One person told me it was like $7 and something. You were docked off your bonus at the end of the year. Um, and, and could be disciplined or even fired. And so the idea being that, um, like, at the end of the year, you're basically uh, taking a little money away from yourself every time you file late. And uh, and, and then at the end of the year, uh, Minda, I believe you heard this from people as well, they would have this big all-staff meeting, and Stan would announce who had been late the most and how much money they'd cost themselves. And then And then what someone told me is, that he positioned it as like, that's good news for the rest of you because this person, you know, put all their money back into the bonus pool and they're not going to get anything because they were late so much. Uh, <laughs> and like, and that person was at the meetings. <laughs>
1: it's that's weird. But yeah, it's like, yeah, it's it's just bizarre. I've never I've never heard anything like that.
0: I mean, Doug, Doug, does that? You've covered a lot of agencies. Am I wrong in thinking that that this stuff's I'm not saying it's like bad. I, well, let me quickly say that that the person, one of the one of the people I talked to, said they no longer work there, and they said sometimes I really miss it. Like I miss the organization, structure. Like yeah, well yeah, yeah. the trains ran, the trains ran on time, and and they were like, you know, people consider it cult like, and I can see that. But you know, this person said like sometimes when you work at a place where they are really kind of sloppy about those things then everything's chaos. And so so he's, he, he. this person was saying like, yeah, sometimes I think back and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe they were on to something. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's
2: perfectly fine to have structure and there are varying degrees of rigidity. But yeah, from, from what I've heard as well, it just, it was to the nth degree. And what that does is um, creates a culture of fear in a way. And... I don't know if you necessarily get the best work out of people when they're fearful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to be loosey-goosey, and it's perfectly okay to be hands-off. But you know, structure is one thing, but that level of rigidity just seems a little bit over the top, especially for a, uh, using air quotes here, creative industry.
1: Yeah, and I have to imagine, like... I wonder how working from home has has gone this year for them, for an agency so used to structure and being Mm. on time and clearly being in person. I mean, I don't know what their policy was or anything like that, but (laughs) I can't imagine it went over well. I don't know.
0: I mean, I guess we all know – I say this as the person who organizes our morning meeting every day, but obviously if you have a morning meeting that everyone has to check into, I guess then you would know. But yeah, I'd be curious. Uh if if you work there, drop us a note. Again, it's podcast at adweek.com. Um you can send it from a personal account. I'm happy to keep your privacy. And we're not, you know, again, we're not here to bash the agency per se, especially or anybody in it. It's just I I was as someone who's been covering this space for a long time, I was really surprised to hear the details of kind of just what daily life is like there. And I think every agent, not every agency, but a lot of agencies have that, that kind of older figure, you know, that lion in winter who maybe either founded the agency during the, the, you know, creative kind of renaissance era of advertising or, or whatever, you know, it's like the founder of, of the agency I worked at was still there when I started, he passed away shortly after. Um, but he was still there and he, looked very like old school, you know, kind of, uh, David Ogilvy vibe, but, but to your point at the beginning, Menda, like those folks are usually kind of figureheads, you know, and they're, they may show up, they may like record a video for the annual town hall or something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're, exactly. They're not, they're not sitting in creative reviews and, 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 and from what, what I've heard, um, you know, it wasn't just like he was there to be, uh, to, to, you know, to keep up with something like, like the agency I worked at, the CEO would sit in on certain meetings, uh, just cause he liked to hear what was going on, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't, he wouldn't like say that's a bad idea. Don't do that. And it sounds like from what we've heard, uh, that Stan would, you know, that he would really oh, sure. consider mm-hmm. himself kind of like the gatekeeper of what creative should go to the client. Um, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I I, I was, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't covered the Richards Group that much. I, I I've never met him. I don't know a ton about the agency. I mean, this week I do, <laughs> but before <laughs> this, um, but um, yeah, I kind of just assumed, I guess, that you know he was probably involved, and he does interviews here and there. I I figured he was somewhat active, but I, I never imagined he was this hands-on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a bit like when you see Lee Clow pop up or Dan Wyden make a video appearance or something. You know, you're like, yeah, oh, well, it's good to know that guy's still doing mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, you know, he's still he's still involved. Um, <clears throat> but uh, wow, so I will just uh, I will just for the for more, I will steer people to Adweek.com. Check out Mendez coverage. Um, I did a piece about uh, kind of how diversity advocates within the industry uh, have responded. Uh, this was when the story had really just come out. Uh, but there were some really interesting perspectives there about the fact that this was kind of a bottom-up uh, controversy. You know, this was not uh, the media got a hold of a statement or something. You know, this was the staff really kind of leading a a borderline insurrection against you know what they felt was their founder's inappropriate comment, and uh, that to me is really telling of where we are in this moment. It, it's kind of reminiscent of Me Too in certain aspects of the last few years. We've really seen this empowerment of kind of the, not to say the rank and file, but you know what I mean. That like that people no longer just kind of quietly tolerate whether it's casual racism or casual, you know, or workplace sexism. Uh, that you know, there's there's much more of a movement to oust those things and to get them addressed. Uh, so it's it shall be interesting. I just I. I'm reluctant to say I feel bad because obviously Stan Richards put put himself in this situation, and he is going to his actions are going to cost a lot of people their jobs, and and he's he just kind of gets to go into retirement now. I mean he's probably in a pretty difficult emotional place right now, uh, but at the same time, like it's what I guess what bums me out is the idea that this agency, all these hundreds of people who've worked so hard on so many campaigns for so long that that agency name is going to become shorthand for its own implosion. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, suddenly when you say the Richards group, uh, from now on, is that, is that going to be kind of the, the first and only thing that comes to mind, in which case they might have to change their name, you know? Um, I don't
2: see how you get around that, honestly. And yeah, I mean, you take a look at, at some of these clients, um, like Home Depot in particular, um, you know, there may be some people on that team that when the new agency is named, you know, they might move to whatever market it's in. Or, you know, does does Home Depot say, you know, we really like the people on this team, and so we'd like to figure out, you know, if the agency is based outside of Dallas, you know, is there a way to build something in Dallas or isn't it, is not it in Atlanta? You know, that's, that's always an option. But, you know, the thing about Dallas, too, is that it's not what you would call a, quote, agency city per se, not like you would say in Minneapolis or or Portland or Los Angeles or New York or Richmond. Um, but there are a lot of agencies there. I mean, there there are more than people realize. So Saatchi has a big operation there. Omnicom has a big operation there. So in the seeds of despair, there are green shoots of opportunity. And Dallas is a, is definitely a market that we don't necessarily Hone in on too much in terms of agencies. I think we we definitely look a lot more at Austin, um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a big old shit burger. But there are uh, hopefully you know opportunities at some of these other places where this talent can go.
0: Well, I, I you know I think our it's definitely fair to say our thoughts are with the the staff that are going to go totally. through the fallout uh, as we record this. I mean, it's all so so fresh that the the scope of this is is still hard it's impossible to say at this yeah. point um, when we've seen this before it's taken upward of nine months for some of these outgoing you know clients who drop in the case of I think it was Campbell Ewald right um, drew some backlash over a, a, a racist uh, email incident and you know, it took about nine months for those clients to find new agencies. And so it starts a much longer process, but I'm, I'm personally just, I feel a lot more for the people who are going to lose their jobs because of these uh, client exits. Uh, and, you know, I wish I knew what to say, except my thoughts are with you. And well, uh, well, you know, I certainly hope our tone doesn't come across as insensitive on this podcast. It's like, we're, we're just trying to kind of get our heads around something that spiraled so quickly uh, and just trying to make sense of it. But again, if you are involved and, uh, you you know, this is your livelihood, uh, we certainly are empathize with it and, and are thinking about everyone that's going to be inf- affected by this. Um, so with that, uh, I, I, you know, if you're curious to read more, definitely check out adweek.com and, uh, look for more reporting. Minda, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for all your great coverage of this story. And, uh, it is, I'm sure I'm sure we've not seen the end of this yeah. story. It's going to be kind of fascinating to see how it continues to spiral out from here. Uh, and so we will probably have more updates. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Doug, thanks for making time for us. As always. All right. Uh, well, this was a bonus episode. We will be back with our regularly scheduled coming up on our 200th episode very soon. So join us for that. Uh, I'm David Greiner with Adweek, and we will be back shortly.